Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 286. I am John Davis. We've got a full load today. We've got two vehicles we're going to talk about, lightning round, viewer question. But along with me in the studio today with Greg Carlos and Jessica Ray from our MotorWeek staff, is our special guest, our online auto parts expert, Tom Taylor. Tom, we it's been quite a while since you've been on, too long. Welcome to our podcast. Yeah, thanks, John. This will be fun. I'm looking forward to it. And we're going to start right off with something I know that's that's one of your huge concerns. I remember back in the days, and this goes back 10, 20 years, when we used to do some of the high school automotive technician uh, competitions. I think they were may still be sponsored by AAA. Uh, they would always talk about this enormous deficit in the number of automotive technicians that were in training. And they would throw out the number like 50,000. And I would imagine that this has a big impact on the, the, the auto parts business, just not enough trained folks. What's the situation today, and are you optimistic or pessimistic? Um, the, yeah, the, the situation is what you described, and it, it's been it's been hard to find employees for any job lately yeah. for a number of reasons. Um, so that that certainly hasn't helped on road technicians, and it, it does it, it. Owners of older vehicles, if it's hard to find people to service your your car, then you're you're in a bind and and more likely to give up on your old vehicle and and get a loan to get a new vehicle, which is is a waste. Um, I was recently encouraged, about once a year I, I go to um, the Florida Panhandle to a, a community college down there called uh, Chipola Community College. They have a bunch of technical programs and, and uh, visit their, their automotive um, training section. And a few months ago I went, and they actually, all their classes were full. They had waiting lists. Wow. It, it was a huge turnaround, and it's, it just seemed to be the, the Florida's had a lot of, of uh, publicity lately for, hey, hey these are uh, great careers, well-paid, uh, honorable, challenging, uh, all sorts of uh, technology involved. And, and that's what I give credit for. It, I can't think of anything else. It, it really seems to have, to have worked. So if, if uh, in high schools and if uh, local and and various governments, hey, these are, you don't just have to go to a college and get some degree and then figure out what your career is. Um, start out in a, in a trade, and, and it can be really rewarding and, and fulfilling and well-paying and everything you need. You know, it's, it's, I mean, people, I think, still think of auto repair as, uh, you know, grease under the fingernails, and while that's probably still correct in some instances, You've really almost got to be a computer expert in order to diagnose any kind of modern vehicle. And I remember Pat Goss uh, talking years ago about how the good technicians at his shop uh, could easily pull down a six-figure salary. So this is, it's, it's quite different than, than even a decade ago. Yeah, and, and the uh, I was um, replacing this. Help my daughter, who's a teenager, replace the spark plugs in her 12-year-old 
SUV, which has a, a transverse V6, so the one bank of cylinders is up against the firewall. And yep. I, I thought it'd be a bigger job, but it, the, the vehicles are so the, the connectors are better, the fasteners are better, and it, it, we had to disassemble a bunch of take off the upper intake manifold and do a bunch of things. But it, everything came apart easily and went together easily. And I was really encouraged after we, we finished that she said this is like uh, working with Legos. You know, and that, that's, I think that's really a positive thing to say because it's like Legos are precise and well-made and, and you're not snapping off little bits of plastic and your hands aren't all greasy. And so, yeah, I was really encouraged by that. Hmm. Well, you know, speaking of parts, and um, I know during the uh, pandemic with more and more people, quote unquote, working from home, uh, I have a lot of friends that got more into uh, some of your do-it-yourself car repair than they had done in the past. And I noticed that one of the topics uh, that um, you had uh, mentioned that you might want to talk about today was not always, not, when you're trying to replace something on your vehicle, not necessarily going by the part that's on the car when you go to replace it. In other words, is it true that the part on the car may not be the right one? That's you know someone may have put the wrong part on. I guess that's that's kind of your point, right? Right. Yeah. Usually the part that's on there is correct, and you can you can look at the photo and ma and say, oh, okay, I, this matches that. And but um, it's always good to be a little bit cautious and maybe double check with, with especially some parts. Like uh, the, the first parts I, I personally encountered was air filter. I got a 71 Ford, and it was really well-maintained, except the air filter looked real nasty. I'm like, why didn't the previous owner replace the air filter? And and then I discovered, well, yeah, yeah the, the 1971 um, air filter doesn't fit this car. And, and, and so I, I looked at the uh, part number on it on rockauto.com as a part number search tools. So, so I looked at the aftermarket um, air filter, that, the old one. I looked up that part number. And it turns out, well, okay, that part number only fits 1972 and newer Fords. So sometime over the years, the air cleaner housing had been changed on this engine. Oh, I got it. And then more recently, um, it was a, I think it was a 2000, 2007 Chevy pickup truck that the, the brakes were uh, were real weak, and, and nobody could figure out why. So took the, uh, the calipers off and the brake pads. We're only contacting the rotor on one side. There was this perfect right angle worn in the, the brake pad as the brake pad bent around the, the two small brake rotors. So somebody had installed the, this truck had the police package that with the larger rotors, and somebody had installed the smaller rotors with the, the uh, calipers and pads for the larger rotors. So they didn't match. So, yeah, that would be a case of, like, rockauto.com has info pages for the parts. You can see the diameter that the rotor is supposed to be, see if the, the rotor that's already on the car matches what's supposed to be on the, the car with the police package or the heavy-duty package, and uh, and make sure you're, you're, you're uh, not, not duplicating an error somebody made years ago. You know, I'd say it, but I think once in some years ago, I used to have a, a rather large box in my garage filled with parts that didn't fit. <laughs> I think I got rid of them at a garage sale. Um, you know, uh, here at the show, it's interesting. I, I got asked, uh, we, we're getting a lot of, I would say, 
pushback from the audience uh, that have uh, gasoline-powered vehicles that were doing too many EVs. And I try to explain to them when we get a, a note or an email or a comment, you know, we test what's new. And right now, almost one out of two new vehicles that we get into the show are electrified. Either they're plug-in hybrids, hybrids, or more, more times than not recently, pure EVs. And I'm wondering, from your standpoint, two things. Does that mean going forward that we're going to have a harder or better time getting parts for gasoline-powered vehicles? Do you think that gas cars are going to keep changing as rapidly as they've done over the last few decades? I mean, what's your outlook when, when, it, when it comes to maintaining a gas-powered vehicle in this new EV age? Yeah, I think it might actually be a, going into a golden age for uh, for people who want to keep their cars longer and, and have it be affordable to to repair the, the vehicles because the uh, there'll be gasoline powered car new ones made for you know, at least the, the next twenty years, mm -hmm. and if the auto manufacturers have have moved have actually laid off their engineers who who came up with changes for uh, internal combustion engines and have put all the resources in electrical, then they won't be changing these vehicles. So uh, the, uh, the, recently there's been a lot of little changes like the stop-start technology, your engine turns off every time you come to a stoplight, to eke out the last little bit of gas mileage. And, and those don't uh, necessarily add to the durability or the ease of working on the vehicle. But little changes like that will stop. Um, if the cars stay pretty much the same over the next 20 years, then uh, there'll be replacement parts will be readily available. Prices will drop if there's everybody's been making the same parts forever. Um, so I think it, it might be more like the back in the, the glory days of the 60s when Chrysler you know, had three engines and yeah and everybody remembers how durable the Chrysler Slant Six was. Well, that's because it didn't change it for decades, and if there were problems, <laughs> they fixed them and. So, yeah, we, we might be uh, it might be a good time to get a gasoline car and hang on to it. You know, I, I look at the the um, the move to uh, stop uh, internal combustion engine uh, sales, particularly in California and a lot of other states uh, by 2035. I, I'm not going to get into whether I like the idea or not. I, I think I don't. But anyway, um, it seems to me that when that if that comes to pass, uh, a lot of people will probably be hanging on to their old internal combustion engine vehicles longer, especially ones capable of long-distance travel, uh, at least until electric vehicles become uh, more mature. You know, if, if somebody's thinking about doing that, should they worry about parts being available, or at least parts that they need? No, I don't think so. There'll be other people doing that that'll be hanging on to their, their gas-powered cars. So if, if there's demand and the cars are still on the road, there'll, there'll be parts available. Yeah, I can I can imagine now with uh, V8s going away that any, a lot of people will be standing in line for some of the last uh, V8s, uh, either from uh, the Dodge folks or the new, or the new Mustang, since it's still going to have a V8. Anything with a V8 may be worth a, quite a bit of money ten years from now. You might see some people coming through the junkyards trying oh, yeah. to find the <laughs> the, the engine bodies so yeah. they can. Uh, 
Yeah, no, it'll be an interesting time, that's for sure. I was kind of the holy grail for the electric cars is is be able to duplicate the V8 sound. If anybody comes up with a a, a way to do it that isn't real hokey, doing it over the stereo speakers or something. Well, I guess that's what that's what Dodge Dodge is going to do with their, or at least they say their their concept. Have you heard it? No, I I haven't. I I heard it online. Yes, I I did. Well, yeah, we haven't heard it. I haven't heard it in person. person, But I mean, it sounds really good online. So I think they're trying. They're at least they're at least artificial. Anyway, (laughs) well, thanks, Tom. Um, we, we'd like you to stick around for the uh, entire uh, podcast and feel free to, to make any comments about any of the other stuff we're going to talk about. We're going to move on to, it's interesting we're talking about gas-powered vehicles because normally on these podcasts, at least one of the two or three vehicles we talk about has got a battery in it, uh, but not the two we're going to talk about today, which is good. The first one is the Honda CRV, easily the benchmark and compact uh, utilities. Uh, Jessica, I want you to take the lead on this. It's all new, and this is an enormously important vehicle, not only for Honda, but for all of its competitors. Yes. I mean, uh, it's one of the benchmarks in the class. I wouldn't say that this doesn't have a battery because it will have it a will eventually, model yeah, with a battery. With the hybrid. Um, the hi- Yes, the hybrid, which is coming after the typical internal combustion engine model but so i really won't talk much about that because i only got to see it i did not get to drive that but we will drive that soon um but basically i mean uh it's a pretty significant look difference with this new crv i think they took a look at how successful the rav4 has been that new rav4 they got rid of the you know the all of the rounded edges of it and um, made it look mean Yes, exactly. They made it look mean. Mm-hmm. And it, and I think most people, if you if you looked at them side by side, a 2020 model of them, you'd be like, yeah, the RAV4 looks better. So now the CRV has caught up to that, and it looks fantastic. The hood is just a little bit longer. It's all a little bit more angular and, like you said, kind of like mean and, yeah, and angry, angry yeah. um, which is kind of the look that all cars seem to be going by uh, these days. Um, so the looks are just, it, it, it really is fantastic. But then also inside is gorgeous because it's, uh, it's not much different than what we've seen in the Civic, the new Civic and, and the new It HRV. shares that platform. Yes. And so they shared that interior, but it's very like elegant inside. It's almost, and it, it I, what got me is the linearity mm-hmm. of the lower part of, mm-hmm. the, of the instrument panel. If, if you, you weren't around, of course, but back in the so-called golden age of the, the first golden age of automobiles, back what Tom was talking about in the, in the 60s, almost every car had this instrument panel that below the top pad was very linear across. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the Civic and I look at the CRV, I see that little bit of nostalgia coming back. Mm. And even some of the rotary controls, even though they're kind of not exactly what you think they are. It's interesting. It's a different look. It is, and I I like it a lot. I think that it also is one of those things where, you know, it's it's updated and updated compared to the last generation, but it isn't too modern. It's modern, but it's not too modern. You you can 
you still have knobs for climate controls, and that is a very, very important thing yeah. for the people who are buying this vehicle. So, um, yeah, the inside is just, it's really nice. I will say probably one of the biggest things you have to note about this new CRV is that right at least at launch and maybe this could change in the future there's currently uh they they have axed the lx base model that is gone i wonder why um it must not have been popular well i guess guess not but what that also means is that now the crv starts at the ex model which more expensive which means that it now starts over thirty thousand dollars so i wonder if that's to drive people down to the uh, the the hrv yeah any comment about uh the crv greg yeah i'm digging the uh the civics like um the stylings we saw it uh really originate there and now they're coming Mm -hmm. from the civic and moving out um I, I noticed they have this, uh, what we've all kind of griped about for years, is they have the, the center infotainment screen kind of propped up right yep. on top of the dash. Uh, I, I personally like to see that a little better integrated at mm-hmm. this point. It seems like everybody was doing it, and then now they're starting to realize, like, all right, well, let's integrate it into the gauges or maybe put it down a little bit further. This is kind of sticking with the whole, let's just slap it on top. Mm-hmm. And I think we had it in the Integra, too. Um yeah. And it, while there is, yeah, there are buttons and knobs on it. Um, I remember in the Integra, I didn't love the feel of them. That's right. I'd it's hope the same. they. Uh, it is. I forgot. Fi- it's also figure the same that out. in the Integra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it does. It does look good. Um, you know, looking at it from from the whole uh, across the dash standpoint. Um, I can't say you know a CRV really excites me. Uh, even at my current life stage with with kids at say, the moment, you are like their target. One of the <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not really, it's not really uh, you know hitting me in anywhere in the fields. So, uh, um, but they'll sell a ton of them. On the practicality aspect, it's it's a little bit bigger inside. It's very slightly, the, get a little bit more rear uh, leg room. Yeah, uh, you if it's like that the, incremental improvement yeah. that Honda does with almost every yep. redesign. It, like the the. Cargo capacity was already best in the class already, yeah. so that's been great. Uh, the rear seats also recline a little bit more uh, for your rear passengers who might want to uh, relax a little bit. And I mean, I mean, I drove it, and you know, it's it's got that same engine that's in the Civic. Um, it has, I think, an ample amount of power. It did say they they have tweaked the CBT a little bit. Um, it was still a little, I mean, it's a CBT, so it's still a little bit buzzy. Uh, but, you know, if it, it got where it needed to go. And, I, and in a world where we drive really, really powerful cars all the time, like it was refreshing to, to be like, all right, this is a car that's going to sell a lot of units. And so it was refreshing to drive something slow. A little bit slower. <laughs> no, I, well, it's funny because I, you know, yeah. I, drive, I have a Jeep Wrangler, right? Yeah. And like the engine is. It, it's, it struggles. I'm under 200 horsepower, you know, in that thing. And it makes me drive slower and safer because I don't, like, it's just it's just a different driving experience. And that's not a bad thing. Like, it was very pleasant. It's exactly what you expect a CRV to be. And it's just one of those things where it's, you know, a, a high-volume car like this, you know, Honda knows exactly what they need to do to make it better and for it to appeal so they can sell 400,000 of them. <laughs> a year. Well, maybe not this year, but. <laughs> Tom, I, I, I don't know if you've got any comment about it, but I also had another question of regarding something that's in the C- CRV. But when you look at the trend on these car based SUVs, 
Do you think the CRV or anything that's going on with the trend like right now is setting the stage for the future of these vehicles, or how do you view them, if at all? Yeah, everything seems to be moving to a kind of a mid-sized SUV, a, 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 a super practical station wagon kind of model that it, it reminds me of heresy heresy that word station wagon <laughs> sorry you can edit that out <laughs> but you but you're absolutely right they they all seem to be coming together in in this mid so-called mid-size class no matter what you you compact subcompact mid-sized full-size i mean they are converging yeah yeah it's, it's really interesting and, and it's uh I mean, they are practical vehicles, so it's you got room for cargo and passengers, and get decent gas mileage, and so it kind of makes sense. Hey, hey, I have a question that about CVTs. One of the reasons they were touted uh, early on was a lot fewer moving parts. Have you seen any particular issues with CVTs that? maybe are something different than a normal transmission that might affect uh, the parts business? They have unique transmission fluids, so you have to get the, make mm. sure you get the correct transmission fluid. And the earliest ones, the, uh, just overhearing the, the professional mechanics talking, there were some that were real problem-prone. Um, but, but it seems that like after those initial hiccups that they're, they're reliable and they have great shift feel and, um, yeah, I can't think of any reason to avoid them. You know, you you just touched on something. I'm not going to let you go without comment, talking about it. I went in recently to uh, get uh, a bottle of um, transmission fluid for some vehicle that we had in for testing that was a little low, and I was blown away by the number of varieties. So it it really is. There is no longer a one or two transmission fluids out there. It seems like you've got to have either uh, brand-specific or at least country-of-origins-specific when it comes to transfluid. Yeah, it goes across all the fluids, the motor oil and uh, brake fluid. And, antifreeze. Yeah, antifreeze. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to necessarily – well, the, the car manufacturers aren't making their own fluids, so the, you just got to watch that the fluid manufacturer says it, it meets the spec for your particular vehicle. Because that that aftermarket manufacturer is likely making the fluid that is in the new car, also. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I noticed that I believe it's the um, Asian and European vehicles both have a blue antifreeze now, but they're not the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really hurts for people that are colorblind, like <laughs> <laughs> or or just not you know paying attention. Period. Okay, let's move on to our uh, lightning round. And um, basically, these are topics that have come across our wire, and we're fascinated by them. But we kind of just want to get uh, some group think on whether they are worth considering or not. Right now, everybody knows that one of the big hurdles for electric vehicles is the electric infrastructure. And while Tesla may have it figured out for their owners, uh, the rest of us looking for a place to plug in, it can still be very confusing. So the folks at Electrify America, which have, if not the largest, one of the largest electrical um, charging uh, networks in the country, they're finding, and I agree with them, 
that the different types of chargers at their locations can be incredibly confusing. So they have decided to take a page from the automotive industry and start naming different chargers differently. Their 150-kilowatt-hour chargers are now going to be called ultra-fast, and their 350-kilowatt-per-hour chargers are now called hyper-fast. Do we think this clarifies the differences between the chargers, or is it just another marketing Whatever. <laughs> All right. I can see from the skepticism around the uh, table here, I have an idea what the answers are. Go ahead. I like the direction they're going because it is a little confusing. Um, I don't love the execution uh, specifically with yeah, the ultra same. and hyper because who's to say what's faster than like is ultra better? Like I might <laughs> is make ultra the argument, faster than hyper. Right. I might make the argument that ultra is better than hyper. But you know uh, what and I mean? like what's what's faster than hyper? Which is like the future of charging, right? Like, right. there's going to be something past. And that we are, that. we currently we have the debate of what's a supercar and what's a hypercar. Right. So now it's like right. we're bringing it into yeah. the chargers. I don't know why Super you can't fast. just either use numbers or just say fast, faster, faster. fastest. Fastest. <laughs> like, I think yeah. everybody understands that. Fast, faster, fastest. So. I think they're the same, like, color too like they like if they would have made them different colors right ah. like because if you look at like um like the where they i don't know how it's like pronounced i just call it the chad a chad chadamo 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 right. i just call it like the chad that one doesn't get a name also right. you can just keep calling Sounds it chad. Like a sandwich <laughs> yeah. like a really bland sandwich do you know a lot of a lot of gasoline used to be at the pump they would have different colors to signify regular, mid-grade, mm. and premium. That That's they pretty still much do. gone away. No, some of them it? do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, actually, they do. It'll be, yes, they still do that at at, um, at, a, at a gas pump. Yeah. So to me, I'm like, yeah, make it a different color. Because then you can be like, especially, too, because you don't know until you walk We're, up to it that if it's a 150 or 350, it doesn't. it's not super easy to, like, no. You gotta wait till you pull into the spot and then you're like ah. and read it. Since we all use emojis for everything anyway, why not just have like a turtle, uh, <laughs> a bunny, and then like uh, like a rabbit with its hair on fire or something? Yeah. I don't know, like <laughs> something. Okay. But, uh, again, I like where they're going. I just don't think the execution was just right. Maybe they should have. Uh, I, I think they're I think they're kind of wrong focusing on the the. It's like if you went into a gas station and I drive my wife's 93 Ford Tempo in and it's always hard to pump gas into it. And the, the attendant's there and he says, I got this new hose that pumps 10 gallons a minute. And and, and it's really great. It's, and I call it hyper, super duper, gold, platinum fast. <laughs> well, if I put that on my, try to pump gas in my Ford Tempo, it still won't accept gas at that speed. Right. And I potentially could damage my tempo as I blow gas all over the the back of it and, <laughs> and fill my socks with gas. So it, it, it seems like more would be useful to be like, well, your particular vehicle can pump to 80% charge. At, at, it'll take this much time with this charger versus this is hyperfast, which may work with some car you don't own. That's a, a really good point because they, right now there aren't that many vehicles out there that can use the 350 yeah. kilowatt per hour now chargers. We, now we're getting into we should have bouncers at each one. Be like, nah, bro, you couldn't you couldn't handle hyper fast. You get out of here. <laughs> I, you know this with all of the um, the new government money that is going to be spent on installing chargers all over the place. Maybe they ought to take a little bit 
and put it aside and try and figure out how to just brand it, how to brand it yeah. and how to market it better. I wouldn't mind that so much at all. I don't think I, I would either. Because I feel like it's like uh, every time you try to explain charging to somebody oh, who knows nothing just, about EVs, they, they it's just, so hard. Yep, their eyes glaze <laughs> exactly. over. Exactly. So We've got some work to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's move on to a question, and actually, I think this is a, a good one for um, for you to chime in on, Tom. We have an email from Ron Kay. He says, my 1990 Acura Integra, he's got a good one, came with 14-inch wheels. Today, most cars come with 17-inch or 18-inch wheels or larger. Why are larger wheels more common? Is this more about style or performance? What do you think, Tom? I think a big, uh, one big reason, is style and performance are, are certainly important, but something else is just the metallurgy and the manufacturing techniques improved a lot to be able to make some of these wheels. Mm. To have a, it's like you can, so much of the brake rotors exposed, and that just wasn't possible you know, 40 years ago. But it, it was a way to, if, if the cars are, are kind of look similar with the plastic bumper covers and and are, are, are all little uh, station wagons, then a, a way to set yourself apart is to have the really cool-looking wheels. And it, it, I, I would say get wheels, get, get the, the larger diameter wheels if you want, if it is a performance vehicle, because it, it does help handling. But, but stick with the smaller size wheels if you, if you have a, a, a vehicle that's not aimed at performance, that you care more about ride, mm-hmm. um, you have better durability if you don't have, if you have a bigger sidewall in your tire, you're, you're less likely to damage a wheel in a right. pothole. So, yeah, there's no easy answer. There, it, there, it's great that there's more options and, and it can help both performance or, or uh, uh, everyday commuter vehicle. Yeah, I mean, anyway. to, to me, it uh, it seems like uh, the style kind of came like, you know, like larger wheels just became a fad, right? And so it just hasn't, it just keeps getting bigger and bi- bigger. Wheels bigger. Oh, 22s now are becoming actually options. And so I think it's like, that's where it started, right? Mm. And then it was like, well, you have to sort of adjust for a lot of that, you know, things, you know, your the tires have to be. A, a, a made differently i think a, like the sidewall i believe has to be stronger absolutely um so yeah it's it, it, sty- it was style first right and then i think everything else kind of came after yeah i mean we just kept buying cars with bigger wheels <laughs> yeah. people were like oh i like that one more than the one with smaller wheels so you know and i also did a story on uh, dub culture and that kind of mm. played into it too mm-hmm. because yep. even there was a time where manufacturers weren't offering these 18, 19, 20-inch wheels, but you could get them in the aftermarket. Mm-hmm. And then when they realized so many people were doing so, they're like, oh, well, people seem to like these. Let's start offering them uh, factory and start making some money. Yeah. And you know, that's where we are. We've seen another byproduct of this going to the bigger wheels, which it may be less obvious but if you're not testing cars like we do. And that is that's allowed the manufacturers to put larger brake rotors mm-hmm. with more brake uh, surface for stopping. And we've seen over the last 15 years, our average stopping distance continue to drop. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say 20 years ago, an average vehicle would take 130 to 140 feet to stop from 60. We're now down to 110, 115, yeah. and increasingly, you know, just over 100 feet. Which especially is with EVs. Pretty, especially with EVs, and that's despite all their extra weight. 
Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. That, so that it's, uh, you know, I'm all, I used to think the bigger wheels would say, okay, you're, you're ruining the ride. It's going to mean the tire and wheel combination can get damaged much easier, like Tom said, because of potholes and so forth. But if it makes you stop an extra car length or two shorter, I'm all for it. Well, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. We've uh, got one more vehicle we're going to talk about, and this is, I personally think, just a terrific piece of work from Toyota, and that's the 2023 Toyota GR Corolla. <laughs> and I mean, it's an honest-to-goodness, high-performance Corolla, not a package for looks, but I think with everybody talking about EVs and we're heading that way without any doubt to see, you know, the, the world's largest car company say, wait a minute, uh, there's a lot of um, interest in life and internal combustion engine performance. And by the way, we're going to take it down to the really affordable level. Anybody else feel that way about the GR Corolla? Yeah, I thought it was funny. Um, yeah, before getting into the drive, uh, Motor Trends uh, headline, or at least their tweet, was like, "Toyota is everything okay?" Because <laughs> like they're almost going through like a midlife crisis type like, thing. Are we really sure we want to go put, do well, everything hybrid? We were like falling into this routine of them just putting out Camrys and Rav4s yeah, yeah, and yeah. standard Corollas, and we're just like, "All right, this is who Toyota is now." Then they they team up with Subaru like a decade ago. They bring the BR the um, the FRS now the 86. Then it's they team up with BMW under GR and now the Gazoo Racing. Then they give us the Supra, mm -hmm. and now this one I think pleases people more because it's all Toyota. Mm. Yep. They didn't good go point. outside. That's a very good point. They took the the GR Yaris uh, Gazoo Racing Yaris, which is available uh, at pretty much everywhere but yeah, the but US. here. Uh, <laughs> And they said, all right, well, we're going to give you the GR Corolla. And that's where we are with a 1.6-liter three-cylinder turbo oh, and 300 horsepower. And if yeah. you're paying attention, that's 100, that's 100 horsepower, horsepower per, per cylinder. cylinder. Whoa. And this is where everybody's like, Toyota, like, do you realize what you're doing? <laughs> like, you know, like, this isn't like a top priority for you know you're not going to sell many of these yeah. things, which you guys are very concerned with selling a lot of vehicles. Uh, but and I'm I'm here for it, man. Uh, yeah, I went out to uh, Utah Park City, drove over to uh, and I'm forgetting the name of the the racetrack outside of Salt Lake City, and they just turned us loose on it in this little hot hatch. Which I uh, even knowing all the stats and everything going into it, I'm like, okay, is this a legit hot hatch? And basically by the third corner, I was like, okay, this is this is like a legit Golf R Civic type. It's all-wheel drive, too. Better. It is all-wheel yeah. drive. And not only that, so the default mode is 60-40 front rear torque. Mm -hmm. You can go full 50-50 at a quick uh, flip of a dial, or you can go 30 front, 70 mm -hmm. rear, which personally mm -hmm. yeah. is my sweet spot. because I, And it's weird because they kind of consider that like a rally version because this is like rally built <clears throat> sounds and, like a rally car right and and 50 50 they call is like their track quote unquote track mode i didn't love how it felt on the track i mean yeah you can kind of get on it early and you can you know if you if you if you play by the the rules you can be very fast in 50 50 but if you like to just have some fun 30 70 is the way to go because you can really get some rotation out there i couldn't quite drift it around partly because i'm you know 
not out there trying to crash Toyota's car <laughs> the first day I've ever driven it. So you'd uh, like to leave them some and tires also because, left? And also because you still do have that 30% to the front, so it's not like you're going full 100%. Uh, but yeah, man, it was just... Uh, <laughs> it, it is a really fun car on the racetrack. I unfortunately didn't get to drive it on the street. It was all a track mm. event. I did get to drive it on like the outside ring, and I thought it was totally fine just in like a normal driving setting. It uh, didn't seem like it beat me up like the previous Civic Type R did. It sounds really good. It actually has three exhaust pipes, and the middle one is open when you start it, so you have like a nice, deep, cool, hot hatch rumble. And then at 20 miles per hour, they say it closes, and then it opens back up at 4,500 RPM to prevent mm. backflow and give you all kinds of cool sounds. And they don't produce any sounds. This is all coming from that three-cylinder engine. That's cool. Sounds really nice. Six-speed manual transmission, as you'd expect from a hot hatch. And then sticking with the whole theme of threes, there are three levels. So you have the core, which is their base grade. Uh, which I think is a really solid deal. At 37 grand, you pay another 1,100 bucks to get a front limited slip and a rear limited slip, and you're coming under 40 grand for that with that performance pack. I think that's probably the best way to go, hmm. unless you really want like the exclusive, um, the middle exclusive. Now is going to be Circuit Edition, which is one year only. Uh, that has standard uh, LSD front, LSD rear. Um, some suede insert interior stuff. Uh, but then if you really want to go high-end... Uh, high-end in a Yaris. High-end in a Korea Corolla <laughs> is the Marizo edition, which is, mm. uh, you know, Akio Toyota's pseudonym that he races under. Um, and that actually, in addition to all the cool hot hatch features like vented uh, hood and a few other things, forge wheels, it actually gives you more torque. So you go from 273 pound-feet in the core in the circuit edition to then you go to the Marizo, which has 295 pound-feet of torque. Comes in a little bit later on the rev band, but it is a noticeable difference. When I hopped in that compared to the core, I'm like, okay, this is like a different car mm. because they also tweaked the suspension. They stiffened the front. Uh, they changed the spring rates. I was considerably faster in that car wow. than I was in the core. Yeah. But it's like 50 grand and it'll probably end up yeah. being more once it gets to dealerships. Yeah. And it also doesn't have a rear seat. I don't think I mentioned yeah, that. That's right. <laughs> the Marizo yeah. edition does not have so a rear they pulled seat. It out for Again, weight. Toyota, like what yeah. is going on here? Uh, so practical, not exactly. Fun, uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, but uh, at the end of my first drive, I think I kind of brought that up. It's I originally had the question of, is it a hot hatch? That was answered very quickly. And then it became, is the Marizo worth the, the extra like 12 to 15 grand, whatever it is? And I like I can't say that it is unless you're super into exclusivity because they're only sending 200 to the states, and if you don't, and that like if you want the highest performing Corolla you can find, um, and I like is I, I won't fault anybody for going that way, but for me I think for under 40 grand you can get a heck of a nice uh, Corolla hot hatch, especially compared to the competition. I, that yeah, is when you're considering Golf R's over yeah. 40, yeah, yeah I mean yeah. it's it's. It's solid, better than solid. Tom, does anything about this surprise you, especially from somebody like Toyota? I'm, I'm excited about it. I, I, you're, you're talking about people keeping their V8s. I mean, these are cars to keep, too. For the, yeah. The, 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 you just can't duplicate that fun hot hatch. And it, it's neat having the uh, the competition. It reminds me of the 
the Mustang versus the Camaro, endless debate. It's mm-hmm. have a, the Civic Type R versus the the Corolla. I like those rivalries. Yeah, me too. It's kind of what makes it fun. Makes it fun to come to work in the morning. Yeah, man. Well, I think that just about wraps it up. We do have one more uh, piece of business to cover, and that is to see if anybody has a rant or a rave, something that has uh, stuck in your uh, craw, as they, I think they used to say. Anybody, anything? I, I, have an, uh, I have kind of an interesting rant that I kind of discovered very recently. Yeah. And um, it has to do with the B pillar. The B pillar. The B pillar. My favorite pillar. All right. That's the, the window pillar nearest your head. Yes. And so I was driving the uh, e-tron GT. Mm-hmm. And now, keep in mind, everyone, I am five feet tall. So I sit very close to the steering wheel, which means that the seat gets adjusted very, like, a lot closer. Jessica's the one that when they get in the car, you cannot get in the car <laughs> after her immediately. Yes. But so I pushed the seat up. And this was really the first car that I really took notice that the B pillar and the large sports seats with, you know, and everything and the headrest. If I looked over my shoulder, I couldn't see anything. Wow. I could I could not see. You, out just, of the, you just saw a seat or a B pillar. That's it. That's okay. all I saw. I saw nothing. And I, I was like, man, that sucks. Like it, that sucked a lot because that's a huge part of the driving experience. Is, I mean, I'm always Being looking. Able to see. Right. Yes, <laughs> I mean, it's it's like when you drive um, um, something like I don't know, like uh, like a mid-sized pickup truck or something, and you have a difficult time seeing out the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was worse than that because I could, I literally could not see anything. So yeah, it's it was like just, having blind blinders on. Basically, and yeah. it, I was just, it was just very disappointing. I think because that's a four-door car i mean that's not a sport coupe or anything so um yeah it was just one of those moments where i like was realized this car is not made for somebody like me i actually have a problem with more and more vehicles because of thickness of a pillars you know for Mm -hmm. rollover standards they Mm -hmm. seem for a while they just seemed like they were getting crazy thick i think it's plus they have airbags in them and everything else um and, I, and, and so when I see an automaker, and I have to say Honda is probably at the top of the list. CRV actually has a, a larger, a significantly larger A-pillar in this generation than the previous one. And yet they still basically have managed, because they've always talked about visibility all the way around, mm. it doesn't seem to bother me as much as some. But, yeah, so I, sometimes I think they... They they forget about people that aren't whatever normal size is five yeah. nine or five eight or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, that's 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 my rant. Greg, anything? No, I'm pretty chill today. That was, that <laughs> Tom, was a good anything rant. that you um, would like to get off your chest or some <laughs> someone you'd like to praise or chastise? Yeah, I got praise. It's like a change of heart with me. I've been kind of disappointed over the last five years or so with car reviews often focusing all this technology stuff on the dash it's it's like how many usb ports and mm-hmm. apple carplay and but but i i, I rented a, a Gia sportage recently and had to put a bunch of miles on it and i forced myself to push the apple carplay button and i was amazed how well it worked i felt like a dummy for not pressing that button on other rental cars and it, it was like gps were great i was listening to the podcasts and without any effort yeah yeah you're you're a convert i mean i think apple said 90 percent of uh people looking for a new car uh will not 
get it if it does not have CarPlay. It's hard to go back once, well, you, once you've been using it. I find I use it on my phone for everything. And when I get into I was just in a rental car. It was actually a, a Nissan Rogue not two weeks ago. I got in. It had a port. had Apple CarPlay. I plugged it in. I didn't mess with anything else in the infotainment yep. system in the car. And I used it all off of that, which if I was an automaker, I'd be very alarmed about that. But that is just because it's the easiest thing you can do. You don't have to relearn anything. And I think a lot of times, too, you are futzing with stuff way less. Yeah. You, you just plug it in. You have the controls for music on the steering mm -hmm. wheel. And that's what you do. You put yeah. a playlist on and that's it. Yeah. You don't touch it. And so I think less driver distraction. It reads you your text messages if there's right. something important. Um, yeah, no, I think it's really, I think it's fantastic technology. Yeah. Wave of the future. <laughs> it's here. Tom, thank you very much. I want to thank Tom Taylor, our online auto parts expert. I hope you'll come back and join us again soon, Tom. Yeah, I hope you. This was a lot of fun. And our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos, our digital producer, Jessica Ray, who is also the producer for this podcast, our audio engineer, David Wainwright, and our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. Thanks to you, one and all. And everyone out there, if you're new to the MotorWeek family, well, you can find out a lot more about us by going to our website at motorweek.org. You can also watch us on all of your public TV stations, or at least almost all of them across the country, you go on to motorweek.org up in the right-hand corner, pull down about the show, put in your zip code. You'll get up-to-date uh, time and station information. Or if you're over on cable, look for us on MAV-TV, and you can go to mavtv.com for their schedule. You can also watch just about anything we've done over the last 10 years at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash motorweek, including our our holiday-focused retro reviews We've that Ben Davis. We've got a lot of those coming up. A lot up. of Obviously, those coming fall up. Fall is in the air, and so so will be some retro review marathons. Everybody likes to stream. You can stream us if you're a Prime member at Amazon over at PBS Living, or you can do it for absolutely no cost at pbs.org slash motorweek, where you'll always be able to stream our latest episodes. Or the PBS Video app, which is available on your phone, your tablet, and your smart TV, so you can still watch Motor Week on your TV. Even if, if you you've don't have got cable. a screen, you can watch Motor Week, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Thanks, everybody, and thank you out there for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.